Welcome to the 1515, a 15-minute podcast brought to you by the regulatory legal experts at the Maples Group. Here, you will learn more about the latest developments in the regulatory laws of the Cayman Islands on the 15th day of every month. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our 1515 podcast. My name is Chris Caprell. I'm a partner and head of the regulatory and financial services team here at the Maples Group Cayman Islands office. Joining me for the podcast today is fellow regulatory partner Patrick Head and legal support lawyer Jennifer Parsons. How are you, Pat? How are you, Jen? Well, thanks, Chris. I hope everyone had a good summer break. We're going to cover all of the latest developments in the regulatory laws that have happened here since our last episode in June. There isn't too much to update on. It's more of a quick fire drill as to what's been happening, if there's any further progress on some of the material items. As always, please do note the contents of this podcast do not constitute legal advice and they should be taken as a general update only. Before we do get started, I want to cover the usual light housekeeping matters. If you are listening from your usual podcast app, you'll find any resource documents and speaker information in the description. And if you've clicked on the media link sent to you via email, you can find this information in the notes section. Last but not least, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. In terms of updates, Pat and Jenna, the, the first start for me is the really positive one, and that's FATF. 23rd of June, the FATF did confirm positively that the Cayman Islands has satisfied all of the FATF recommended actions. And therefore, as a jurisdiction, we are now eligible to be removed from the grey list. That's obviously very positive news. It is subject to completion of an on-site visit by the FATF. That's a standard requirement. So the delisting process will involve an on-site FATF visit, which is scheduled for later this month or early September. During the on-site inspection, FATF assessors will visit the Cayman Islands and they'll be meeting in person with local stakeholders to assess the operation of our action plan in practice and its sustainability. So assuming the on-site inspection goes as we hope, that will be presented to the FATF plenary, which is now scheduled for October, and then hopefully the process will start for Cayman to be delisted. On-site inspection, very important, happening in the next several weeks, and we look forward to seeing the outcome from that. The other point that I did want to just give everybody an update I'm starting to see a few questions on this is with respect to OECD Pillars 1 and Pillar 2. Pillar 2 in particular, we've received a few queries from clients that there's a couple of jurisdictions now that have sought to implement their own domestic corporate tax. Uh, Bermuda is perhaps one of them. Bahamas is, is looking at something similar. So the broader initiative behind the Pillar 2 regime is to implement a global minimum tax of 15%. I think about 130 plus members agreed to this as part of the inclusive framework on BEPS. Cayman so far hasn't really released much on it. We don't really have much to say at present. We'll see how government moves on this. There isn't an expectation, at least from my side, that there's going to be an implementation of any minimum 
tax here in the jurisdictions, but very much wait and see on this one. And something most likely will be happening at some stage, possibly this year, but very much wait and see. Pat or Jen, whilst I've been out on summer vacation, there's been a few DITC updates. So when you were able to just track us through some of the material points there on the DITC updates? Yeah, sure, Chris. Happy to take that one. I think in late June, the DITC posted its most recent updates bulletin, and that bulletin confirmed that the DRTC portal is now open for 2022 CRS and filing uploads. And obviously just sort of a reminder of the reporting deadlines, which remain the same this year as in prior years, 3-1 July being the deadline for CRS reporting and declaration along with the FATCA reporting. And then, of course, there is the CRS compliance form that, again, needs to be filed by the 15th of December. A couple of other sort of high-level points out of that updates bulletin where the authority was really just wanting to reiterate the importance of ensuring that the reports filed are complete and that they do have all of the applicable TIN numbers and tax codes for the account holders and or the relevant codes which the IRS has issued. So I think they have to date been sort of over the last couple of years, a lot of incomplete reports that have resulted in further questions, but whether that's the DITC itself or back from the IRS. So it's just important to make sure people's forms are complete. The other sort of interesting point there was, again, just confirmation that the deactivation process is now live and functioning on the portal and that FIs uh, can file, you know, their PPOC can file on their behalf uh, and a deactivation request through the portal. They've also updated the portal user guide to explain sort of what information is needed there. So it's worth referencing the, the, the user guide if you're looking to file a deactivation request. And that's either where the FI has ceased to exist, you know, sort of following a dissolution or what we're seeing quite a bit of is where there's now a change in classification. So for example, where an entity is of the view that it should no longer be considered as a Cayman reporting FI, then it can apply for deactivation. But to do so, it does need to provide generally in the form of a letter or a set of board resolutions, an explanation for a reason why the entity was initially classified as an FI on the definition as, as prescribed under the CRS and then explaining the reasons why the entities are the view that it is no longer an FI and in particular from what date. We're now seeing the authority sort of work through that process of deactivating those, those entities that for whatever reason have either been incorrectly classified from the get-go or that have actually technically ceased to be an FI. So that is a helpful point and I think again just helps clean up the book rather than have entities registered where there isn't a need to do so. Moving on, change of topic to economic substance. We've also seen in the last few months a continuation of reminders from the DITC that return filings need to be made for economic substance where they haven't been and or reminders have been ignored. The DITC has been issuing penalty notices. It is a you know, sort of strict enforcement is being followed here. So I think most listeners, if you haven't dealt with or addressed outstanding economic substance filings and or have received a reminder from the authority that a filing's needed, you should be trying to run that down and get those filings made. We've seen a lot of interest being applied. Is that right? On the penalties themselves? Yeah, Chris, that is actually a really good point. Um, there is a, a daily sort of accrual of interest on the initial penalty amount. So where uh, somebody has received a reminder that they haven't made the filing on time and or the penalty notice that penalty is due, 
there is a daily interest accrual. So it's not a case of waiting to, to let a month pass before you action the outstanding filing. I think that the word of, of caution there for most listeners would be that we have seen quite large figures come through. The daily interest accruals are being applied by the authority. Those are not being waived in any sense. So it, it's definitely worth bearing in mind that you could have quite a large penalty if you don't get the filings completed on time. I, I think also just to drill down a little bit into one of the particular sectors for investment fund management, Managers. There's a few locally on Ireland where it, it seems that most people have now been able to pass and meet the ES substance tests for 2020. Now, that was a fairly unusual year, and it's a little bit unclear as to whether a sort of somewhat light touch approach has been taken by the authority with regard to that year, given that there was a lot of business interruption due to COVID and other travel restrictions. And, and yeah, we sort of saw some quite sort of reasoned arguments as to why it would be sort of fair for people to have what may not be adequate substance going forward. So even though people have sort of met 2020, it's been a good indication of, of at least sort of setting a benchmark. People need to monitor and ensure that, you know, if they have passed 2019, 2020, et cetera, that going forward for 2021, 2022, 2023 and onwards, entities need to ensure that they have sufficient substance in the islands. Otherwise, I think we will continue to see, unfortunately, further penalties in, in prior years. Yeah, that's a really good point about the ES test. It is a, a rolling test. You need to analyze on a year-by-year basis, depending on the facts, the income, and, and the level of substance you got there. As you say, 2020, the island was physically shut down, so it was impossible for people to get in and get out of the islands. Uh, I think the message is, you know, just because you may have satisfied it for one year, you need to analyze it on a go forward basis for each year separately. Pat, can I ask you anything further on beneficial ownership? Yeah, at the moment, it's really been a sort of a waiting game. Uh, we were all prepared with bated breath to see some of the new acts drop towards the end of Q2. That didn't occur. So at the moment, we are still waiting for a sort of further update with respect to the introduction of, of the new acts. I think our expectation is that it will happen this year. I think everybody's sort of you know, clear on that view, but we've not yet seen sort of finalized drafts of the uh, legislation and certainly no updates yet on exactly when the acts may pass. Now, government is sitting again from September, so possibly in, in Q3. Um, or towards the end of Q3, we may see further movement in regards to the new beneficial ownership regime to be implemented. There's, there's been the backdrop, of course, with the European position as well. So it has, in terms of data privacy, behind the scenes has obviously been sort of ongoing work with regard to certain aspects of, of the regime as a whole. And I think it's obviously sensible that people have taken time to, to consider those before we move forward as a jurisdiction. Jen, am I able to bring you in now? There's a couple of items that came through on approved stock exchanges and there's the, the SEMA SOG on internal controls and corporate governance are probably a couple of areas that we might be worth talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris. The first uh, item to mention is, as you said, there has been a change with respect to the list of approved stock exchanges. Now, in particular, this is going to be the list that is the link to the Companies Act. It's also a list that pertains for the Limited Liability Companies Act and Limited Liability Partnership Act. It's a schedule that sets out the list of approved stock exchanges, and these are particularly relevant in the context of beneficial ownership regulations. 
The new list came into effect on the 19th of July. And in particular, the list adds a subsidiary of the Toronto Stock Exchange, and that would be the TSX Venture Exchange, and it removes the Moscow Stock Exchange. So those are the two sort of salient changes that are in effect by virtue of that new schedule. This should be contrasted, though, and, and not, I suppose, confused with the fact that there is also a list of approved stock exchanges that's relevant for purposes of SEMA and for various sectors and regulated entities under SEMA. And that's a completely separate list. Those lists look quite similar, but they should not be confused. The one that we're describing here and discussing, this change is uh, in relation to the context of, as I said, beneficial ownership regulations. Moving on to the big one, <laughs> but I know we've <laughs> a bit of time on, um, what about the internal controls and corporate governance? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that's been brewing now since April. Mid-April, SEMA released a new rule and statement of guidance on internal controls as well. There was a new rule on corporate governance, and there was updated guidance as well with respect to corporate governance for mutual funds and private funds in the form of an updated statement of guidance. It's definitely something that needs to be looked at quite closely. In some cases, these represent completely new measures that are being prescribed. In some cases, they're updated. In some cases, they're going to apply now more broadly. So the important thing here is to take a close look at the measures that have been published and then to look at what is in place now and to figure out you know, where there are any gaps and to look to update those gaps. The measures were published, as I said, the 14th of April of this year, and they come into effect six months after that publication date. In essence, it's the 14th of October that various regulated entities will need to comply. And so, you know, what are we describing when we're saying a regulated entity here? It's going to be certainly mutual funds, private funds. Additionally, it would be insurers. It's going to be banks. It's going to be Securities Investment Business Act licensees. It's going to be registered persons under security. Securities Investment Business Act, corporate service providers, the list goes on. So all of the entities that are regulated by SEMA need to take a really careful look at what's going on here, look at the systems and processes that they have in place, and figure out where they need to go to comply and meet with the requirements. We're happy to assist anyone in reviewing what they have in place now or what they're going to need to change in terms of going forward. Definitely an area to take a close look at and get on now because, I mean, obviously, we're already into August. And in some cases here, we're talking about putting in place uh, written policies and procedures where there may not have been comprehensive policies and writing. As I said, some of these measures are, are, are brand new. So it, it does mean allowing sufficient time for that review to happen to comply with the deadline of mid-October. Yeah, six months has gone pretty quickly, right, with the summer holidays. So. <laughs> it does indeed. That's the thing. Yeah. It goes it has, I mean, yeah, and I, th I think one of the sort of key takeaways that I had there, particularly for investment funds um, and in the private fund space, of course, is, is the requirement to have an in-person meeting, at least on an annual basis. So I think, you know, a lot of listeners and clients need to start thinking about whether they need to put that in place this year or sort of early, early next year. And of course, the, the new guidance sets out the minimum standards that are expected. And you obviously can rely on group policy and procedures, but where that's been the case and you've outsourced, you know, responsibility to an investment manager to sort of maintain controls on behalf of one of the funds, then that in-person meeting would obviously be a good opportunity for the governing body to sort of monitor the compliance by the outsourced service provider or whether that's the, the IAM or somebody else to ensure that 
you know, their standards and what they are applying their own internal controls, you know, meet ours. There is a little bit of work to do there and a few changes around just procedurally what you may be doing during the year. Yeah. And of course, it's important to realize that now in the case of both corporate governance and also in with internal controls, we now have published rules. And with rules, there's a bite there. If there's a breach, then there can be potential for penalties to be applied. It's something to definitely uh, look very closely at and ensure that there is compliance in place. It's, it's no longer you know, suggested as best practice. This is something now that has force behind it. And certainly SEMA will be looking at whether regulated entities have, have taken the necessary steps to comply with the rules that are in place. Take note, important SOG on internal controls, also corporate governance. That's it for today's episode. Thanks, Pat, and thanks, Jen. Um, much appreciate you taking the time and welcome back from your summer holidays. We'll get cracking on, obviously pretty busy at the moment. So to the listeners, thank you as always for listening and to subscribing. We will be back this time next month. Take care and that's it from us.